1: 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Today, my guest is an alcoholic uh, recovering with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, we'll be discussing how Alcoholics Anonymous helps alcoholics and problem drinkers. Uh, today, I'd like to welcome Lisa to the show. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Um, Lisa, we usually talk about, you know, your life and start off at the start and end at the end. of today, I guess. And um, as part of that, we talk about growing up and family and things that influenced you and what sort of put you on the path to be an alcoholic give people a sort of an understanding of the, um, I guess, the parameters that you that you were facing. So what was family life like for you?
0: Sure. Um, so I grew up in a as a, an only child with a single parent who was a practicing alcoholic, my mum. And with what I know now, I think I always had behaviours, the isms, I think we, we like to call them in AA. I didn't, actually find alcohol till much later but I think a lot of my behaviours were symptomatic of, of what I see in alcoholics all the time from a very early age yeah so lots of chaos lots of uncertainty lots of mistrust lots of loneliness and I probably adopted that parent role pretty early on in my life. Um, I was probably the more responsible out of the two of us. Yeah, and that was my childhood, really.
1: Okay. So did you have any support from your grandparents?
0: No, my mother was an immigrant. So we had no other family in Australia. My father and she divorced when I was very young. And... He was often not in the country for sort of years at a time. So, yeah, there were, there were some close friends around of my mum's, um, but that, that was it.
1: Okay. So how early did you realise your mum was an alcoholic?
0: I reckon it was somewhere around maybe seven or eight. I noticed the pattern of behaviour, and she was pretty high-functioning in some regards. She never missed a day of work. She was a teacher, but I knew the pattern and the sequence of behaviour that happened from the time she came home from work to the time that she um, passed out for the evening. And I learnt to hate the sound of a of a, of the screw top coming off a scotch bottle. It was such a strong memory for me for so long, and I swore I would I would never drink because I. I saw how it changed her, not for the better.
1: Yeah, it brings back memories to me as well, growing up in an alcoholic home. So one of the things that's sort of symptomatic of an alcoholic home is, um, I guess it's a, a distrust or it's a blaming, it's someone else's fault. So how did you deal with the alcoholic when she was difficult?
0: yeah I think my main coping mechanism was to try and please, and if that wasn't working, to get out of the way. so i I would spend a lot of time on my own out out of the house, whether it was downstairs, in the yard. I always had animals, so there was a lot and I grew up in Queensland, so there was lots of outdoor time. It was quite easy in some regards to be out of the house or I'd be in my bedroom. It took ages for me to understand why she woke up so grumpy and angry. And I think when I think back on it today, she was hungover every day and felt absolutely horrendous. But, yeah, I I knew to stay well away um, until I'd assessed what the mood was for the day.
1: I guess you had a fair bit of, as you said, talking about being the adult in the family, a lot of responsibility so what was a sort of a day like for you as a child with an alcoholic mum, with you trying to get off to school and things?
0: Um, I think I just started doing stuff really early. And because it was just the two of us and we were quite insular in a lot of ways, our mum was an immigrant and didn't, she didn't really have, we, I didn't feel like we had a huge network of people. Yeah, you know, I just kind of got on with it and, She was very withdrawn. And again, if I look back now, I can see that she was very much that workaholic as well as the alcoholic. You know, I think it all fits together pretty tightly a lot of the time. She would bury herself in work and just really just not be emotionally present for home life, I guess. I think maybe it took her mind off things I'm not sure of her motivation, but she was always working. She was always marking kids' papers, always had a drink with her, and she was pretty much unavailable. And, and I mean, that wasn't 24-7. There were some, some good moments in amongst all of that, yeah, but over, overall, yeah, she was very kind of distant, removed, and not engaged.
1: Right, okay. So how did you find school? Was that a, a place of enjoyment for you?
0: No, (laughs) for as long as I can remember, nothing felt comfortable. I always, always felt like that square peg in a round hole, like I'd missed a lesson somewhere. I'd missed the lesson that all the other kids got about how to get along with other people and how to feel comfortable with other people. And I I just always felt awkward and, and like I didn't fit, Always.
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty common for a lot of kids. Could could you tell anybody what was happening at home?
0: Yeah, I tried. Mum had a couple of very close friends who were heavy drinkers. I, they may well have been alcoholic. I don't know. They were definitely heavy drinkers. And they they would drink with mum regularly. And I remember saying on separate occasions to each of two people, I think, mum has a drinking problem or I think I even said to one of them I think mum might be an alcoholic and it was it was very much shush shush and no she's not and you know she's got a lot on her plate and yeah it wasn't her basically there was no avenue to pursue that conversation at all so yeah I I left it at that
1: total denial
0: yeah
1: (laughs) could you tell any of your friends better question, I guess, is did you have good friends yourself?
0: I was the sort of person who had like maybe one close friend most of the time. And that close friend changed a couple of times through school. But I think amongst just how I felt, my mother was an immigrant. She was divorced. She was an alcoholic. She worked. And none of my other friends' mums did any of that. All of the other kids that I knew had parents who were married, lived in the same house. Mums didn't work. Mums were quite, you know, teetotalers and didn't bother with alcohol and, and were Australian. So, yeah, not really. And I think, too, I I didn't want to emphasise the difference either between me and them. I think I, I much preferred to pretend I was just like you.
1: Yeah. So did you spend time at other people's places to be out of home?
0: Yeah, yeah, I did. As in like at sleepovers and friends' houses, that sort of thing?
1: Oh, just after school or, yeah?
0: Yeah, not so much after school. I don't really know why that that wasn't part of my routine. Most of the places that I went to were attached to my mum's adult friends, so either they did or didn't have kids as well and when I went to places that weren't home yeah I think they were often more often than not attached to my mum's friend base yeah it's strange really
1: (laughs) (laughs) so did you ever try and pour the alcohol out so your mum couldn't drink it
0: yeah, I can remember a few conversations and it would always sort of, you know, I'd say you don't you don't need that and I, as I got older I got a bit bolder about challenging her on it. And she she was to me in in a lot of denial, denied everything, denied that she had a problem, denied that I, and you know I I'd, I'd push her, we well, we we'll don't have any tonight if if you don't have a problem. Leave it tonight, see how you go tonight. And she'd just get Quite aggravated with me and, and sort of ignore the, the protests, and things would continue on as usual.
1: So, did things change as you were growing up into your teenage years? Did it get better or worse?
0: I think it probably got a little worse, yes. And then there, she, yeah, she, got a, she had some sort of health issue when I went away to uni, and I remember she stopped drinking alcohol for a few years. But then went back to it after sort of two or three years of of not drinking. I don't know that I. I mean, I I wasn't really around mum much at the time, and I sh- I do feel the need to say that. <laughs> I now know I'm I'm very comfortable with the fact that she did the best she could with the tools she had, and the support she had, and she didn't have, and and I I know she never ever wanted to hurt me in any way or take away joy from my life she was just struggling through the best way she knew how
1: yeah I think once you get a bit of recovery yourself you realize how difficult people's lives are when you realize you can't change your own behavior very quickly gives you a lot of compassion for people who've got a real problem and no support so did going to high school then was it easier to get on with kids or did you find it just as difficult
0: no, probably worse, I think, you know, the awkwardness of teenagerness, and, and, you know, looking at boys and not looking at boys and it all just certainly didn't get any easier. And it was just, I think it was just an awkward decade of sort of uncomfortable experiences, having to get through the schoolwork, having to go to go to school and sort of grin and bear it. Yeah, but definitely never feeling like um, like I had a place anywhere. Right.
1: So did you start drinking in your teens?
0: No, I wasn't overly interested in, in alcohol at all. I guess part of that was I, I knew how it affected my mum, but also I didn't particularly like the taste of it. I hear a lot of people share about how they drank alcoholically from the first drink that wasn't my experience. I drank moderately for years before it it turned quite nasty. So no, I, I partied, but nothing excessive. There were people partying way harder than me. I kept my commitments. Yeah, my 20s, uni, first job, that kind of, nothing looked too untoward. I was just thinking before we started that I probably started in my mid-20s drinking daily, but, again, not to excess. I would come home, and I think it was the the behaviour that had been modelled to me. I'd come home, I'd have a couple of drinks, and then that would be it. But it would be an everyday thing. That was, like, part of my my daily ritual.
1: Okay. So did your friends drink? Yeah. Most friends drink.
0: (laughs) Yes and I was in an agricultural environment so I was surrounded by heavy drinkers I was probably surrounded by heaps of alcoholics and um and there's no once I did start to drink more I certainly did not look out of place
1: yeah <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny isn't it that people don't realize that you know there is a there is or was a lot of drinking culture you know historically I think it's changing a bit now but Historically, you know I, I remember saying to one of my friends that my dad had a problem with drink and he said, "No he just drinks like everybody's dad yeah had no appreciation for what an alcoholic was and what alcoholic drinking was so yes, yeah, very interesting so you, you mentioned difficulties in relationships, but were you drinking during relationships? was that a problem having a partner who drank
0: Probably not until my my late twenties and I even think it probably wasn't much of an issue until I, I met my husband. None of my other partners, there there wasn't anything too out of the ordinary between the way they drank and the way I drank. Yeah, but I think once I settled down with my now husband, he doesn't really drink at all. And I think kids came along reasonably quickly and that's when I identify my drinking really took off. Once my... um my kids came along.
1: Right. Okay. awesome. Well, we might take a short break there.
2: There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. With Facebook stripping content, it's a timely reminder to focus on the communication channels and platforms that the community controls. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new T-shirt, or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Twitter at 3CR and Instagram at 3CR Melbourne. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855 AM. Keep in touch, 3cr.org.au.
1: Tune in to Uprise Radio every first and third Wednesday of the month at 5.30 p.m. on 3CR. With Jackson and James, we're bringing you the in-depth analysis of what's happening in the world, all in just 30 minutes. You can listen live to air, or you can find us on demand. 3cr.org.au. Stay tuned. Uh, This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then either head to your preferred podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free Show and how to contact us. Today I'm talking with Lisa, and we're talking about recovery from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. So Lisa, uh, before the break, we were talking about your drinking sort of taking off when you were married and started having children. So I think you said that your husband was, uh, wasn't was a drinker. How did that affect your relationship with you being the drinker and him not drinking?
0: Sure. I think one of the things that's helped me drink but also probably saved our relationship over the years is that his name's Bill, actually. Um, yeah. Bill's probably a really good enabler like he's not he's not a detail man <laughs> he was what I'm trying to say is he was very e- easy for me to manipulate for me to sneak around and be dishonest and uh, he wasn't particularly tuned in to that to, to what was going on in that respect for me so, it, yeah, and initially it was just, and he loves people, so I would create these parties weekly, at least weekly, so that I could drink the way I wanted to drink. So we, there was always a party at our house on either Friday or Saturday night and sometimes both, and they weren't untidy. They were other young parents who enjoyed drinking, and and I guess because Bill's very social, loves people, he loved that side of of our lives and i made that happen so it, it probably worked well for him in one in one way so th- th- we were very social for many years yeah
1: so when did it start when did the wheels start falling off that re- relaxed happy atmosphere
0: i think i probably started to notice um so i'm naturally an introvert and When my kids came, I I recharge solo. So I've always refilled my energy source with solitude, through solitude. And once our two beautiful children came along, there was no solitude. So it was really hard to, um, I, I think that really spun me, spun me around and possibly I'm not blaming my kids, but I think the circumstances certainly elevated my need for something to make me feel better um, because I didn't have the other sort of normal life skills that, that a normal person would use. Sorry, Bill, I forgot the question.
1: Uh, yeah, well, the, the question was really about when, when the wheels sort of started falling off.
0: So I, I, I can remember creating all sorts of reasons to have at least one other person over to our house so that we could drink it was just always an excuse if someone turned up at the door let's open a bottle and then i think it became almost annoying having to go through the social the social etiquette and the social steps to to get to that drink and and i think I started to much prefer to drink on my own, but that was, I mean, that was probably over the course of 10 years, that progression from lots of parties, um, lots and lots of, of hangovers. You know, I'd often be in bed for one or both days of the weekend with just shocking hangovers. And then be well enough to front up for work on Monday and then drink each night all the way through the week and then have a big blowout again the following weekend. That was the cycle for years. And I I didn't really miss, I, I always fronted to anything that I'd committed to. So I think from the outside, it didn't really look like that was there was anything too, too drastic going on, but you know, I know how not present I was. I, I would pass out while trying to read the kids a, a bedtime story. I'd wake up and I wouldn't know how long I'd been there for. Sometimes I couldn't remember even starting the story with them. And and I understand today that that's, that's a blackout. Yeah, so some somewhere over the sort of 10 years of, of having kids, And I think, too, I just all of those uncomfortable feelings that I'd had all my life were amplified somehow with with kids in the picture. I just felt extra pressured and um, extra under the under the pump to perform and felt extra awkward. Like I I really wasn't, you know, mother worthy, partner worthy, job worthy. I felt like I had a, a real smoke screen going in every part of my life it was unusual for me to turn up to work without a hangover day after day after day and I'd I'd do that that cycle of um, waking up and and wanting to die and and just really really committing to myself that I wouldn't do it that evening Again, And then by three or four o'clock in the afternoon, as soon as I got home from work, it would happen all over again. Yeah.
1: So what did your husband think about your drinking?
0: I think towards the, the later years, there were definitely many arguments. He would challenge me on how much I had drunk again not he wasn't great with detail so it was easy for me to be dishonest about how much I had drunk and it wasn't really until I started to get quite verbally abusive I would just I'd be always be looking for an argument when I had been drinking that he started to notice that pattern of behavior and and there were many conversations and many arguments about me, how much I was drinking and and how I he did not think that I was an alcoholic. I, I was the person who brought that to the table. I kind of always knew, but just really wanted me to cut down. And I would mention to a couple of close friends over the years that I thought I, I was probably an alcoholic. And, yeah, again, I, I, I guess maybe it's just that, People are perhaps not familiar with it or not comfortable with it or confronted by it, but it was always and perhaps it also because my life wasn't visibly falling apart in front of their eyes. Nobody nobody thought that was a thing for me. My my couple of friends were were appalled at the thought that I might be an alcoholic and that I, I should stop drinking, you know, just save it for occasions or just drink on the weekend and I just I knew as they were making those suggestions that that just wasn't an option for me
1: yeah I think there's a very strong misunderstanding in the community that an alcoholic is you know an old guy in an an overcoat with a bottle in a brown paper bag on you know sleeping in the under a bridge or something that's that's the classic alcoholic people don't realize how many high-functioning alcoholics there are and how they're just, you know, they're sequestered all around society in all places. And usually they've got a supportive family that's helping them stay that way. So what sort of support, or what sort of things did your husband do that enabled you to keep on drinking?
0: I think he let a lot of stuff slide, basically. I think it it wasn't really difficult for me to drink. He would go his way, I would go my way, which was in the lounge room by myself, and I was quite happy to stay there watching t v or a movie till all hours, and I think he just probably gave up on on the arguments and the you know the confrontation about it. And I was still functioning through the daytime. I was getting up, sorting kids, making it to work. Fully functioning, Well, not fully functioning. I was functioning at work. Yeah. So I guess in his mind, perhaps it wasn't. It wasn't as bad as it could be. Perhaps. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, did anybody suggest any intervention? It sounds like everybody thought you were okay.
0: Yeah. Yes. And
1: therefore, didn't need it. <laughs>
0: enough I kept suggesting intervention to others I remember presenting to my GP and saying I think I need to speak to someone I think I've got a problem and I remember walking into the psychologist's room and my opening sentence was I'm pretty sure I'm an alcoholic and she spent an hour telling me why I wasn't and then I left again and it was almost like a leave pass well if the trained professional, maybe it is all in my head, maybe I am over-dramatising the situation, maybe I'm misjudging myself, you know, and that kind of sent me on my merry way for another, I don't know, few years probably. Yeah, it, it saddens me now that, now that I have some recovery at how few medical professionals are aware of AA or even think of it as a, as a potential resource.
1: Yeah, it, it sort of, I guess it shows how bad the mental health service is in real terms. That if people can't pick an alcoholic, then what, what hope is there? You know, if you know anything about alcoholics and alcoholism, it's, it's pretty classic. You can, you know, I, well, knowing what I know about alcoholics, I can pick alcoholics very easily. And, you know, the professionals should be able to do the same in real terms. So when did your kids start thinking it was a bit odd?
0: I actually don't think they ever did. I remember, you know, they didn't. They were 12 and 14 when I started recovery. And I remember explaining to them that that was something that I was going to need to do was go to meetings. And they were both um, quite shocked.
1: Did that please you? In, in a way, it is pleasing that they don't really appreciate it. But I guess it means that they think that sort of behaviour is normal.
0: I had never thought of it like that. It's interesting that you say that, that they thought my behaviour was normal. I had always thought, well, I must have been holding it together pretty well for them not to notice. So that's interesting. But I think too, I've always, there's always been a part of me that wished I had somehow had this tragic crashing and bashing story so that. They could appreciate the difference. Like, I think my journey has been very subtle on the outside. Like, there's really, there's probably not heat. I mean, I know internally there's that I'm like a different person. And I think today they would and have said, you know, you're much calmer, um, you're much more peaceful, um, you seem happier. Um, But I think, you know, it's not like I I was literally lying in a gutter for years and and now I'm no longer doing that. It's not on the outside. My recovery journey hasn't been super dramatic to watch.
1: Yeah, which is good. It's good in a way because it's reduced some of the impact on those around you in real terms. So just sort of to take you back, is your mum still alive or was she still alive when you got into
0: A.A.? She was, and she isn't anymore. She um she passed away just last year. Yeah, but she, she did get to see me. I was open with her about what I was doing, and I got to make an amends with her, which was very helpful, I think, for both of us.
1: Yeah. So what did she think about you stopping drinking when
0: she was still drinking? You know, she was so incapable of being honest about her own situation we it never got discussed i told her what was going on for me and said i'm now a member of aa i go to meetings i do this i do that there was never any follow up with that discussion i i suspect she just didn't know what to do with that information
1: yeah what to say yeah Yeah, my my dad drank for 25 years after I got into Al-Anon and we never discussed his drinking or or me being in Al-Anon. We just got on with life. So what was the trigger to get you into AA?
0: Oh, gosh, yeah. I got to that place that they talk about in the book, um, the jumping off place where I knew that the way I was living wasn't living and that I wanted to die every day. I woke up, I wanted I wanted to die. And to be honest, I probably didn't have the courage to try anything because of the kids, but thought was just constantly there. You know, I'd done psychologists, counselors, hypnotherapy, controlled drinking, drinking different stuff. I'd done all the usual alternative tries and and nothing had worked and and so I thought well you know maybe it, ju- it just felt like um, the only other thing that I hadn't tried really and I, I didn't want to leave my kids alone in the world I mean they'd have their dad but I didn't I didn't want them to be kids that no longer had a mother whose mother had taken their own her life I didn't want my kids to have that story basically
1: so, did you go through rehab?
0: No, I I um fronted up to a meeting in my my local area, very sheepishly. Thought my life had come to a to like the bottom, the end of the end. Thought there was nothing more humiliating and uh, degrading than turning up to an AA meeting, and I managed to get through one meeting. Yeah, and I was I was greeted by the most. Beautiful woman, and she was just the right person to greet me at my first meeting. She had just enough of what I needed to see to think that it might be worth coming back.
1: Okay, right, we might take another short break there. Three CR's Binary in broadcast is airing seven hours of trans and gender diverse radio in the lead up to the 2021. Trans Day of Visibility and as part of Bi-Health Awareness Month.
2: Bringing the noise to the Western Gender Binary. Tune in on Sunday 21st of March between 12 noon
1: and 7pm to hear trans and gender diverse voices busting binaries
2: including in areas of art, culture, politics, wellbeing and resilience towards the transgender day of audibility. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au forward slash binary busting. The 3CR Binary Busting Broadcast Project is financially supported by a Pride Events Grant from the Victorian Government. From a private life
0: so public As the tabloids caught your tears
2: Being photographed How sad, how tragic. But it doesn't have to be that way on the Burning Vinyl Alternative Music Program. Burning Vinyl, Fridays, 2 till 4pm on 3CR.
1: This is the Living Free show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au/forward/slash/streaming. And today I'm talking with Lisa, and we're talking about recovery from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so, Lisa, before the break, we were talking about you finding AA. So, what was it like to go to your first meeting?
0: Um, it was it was really really scary and. I agonized over going for for weeks and I think I I finally just thought I don't have any other option like nothing I I know how to do is working and if I don't do something if I don't if I'm not able to change what's happening to my life I'm going to take my own life so yeah that kind of got me in the car and got me there I guess
1: So what was it like going into a room full of alcoholics
0: I was greeted by a beautiful lady who was very well-dressed, very well-spoken, very warm, and she took me under her wing. (laughs) I couldn't even say the word alcoholic. (laughs) I said, I'm here for the meeting. (laughs) And and uh, she'd heard it all before. You know, she's about, I think, 16 years sober, took me inside, gave me, you know, told me a couple of key things, you know, Sit here you don't have to speak if you don't feel like it she was just the right she gave me the right amount of information and she was the right sort of she just made me feel welcome and she made me feel like I was okay
1: so what was it like to hear other people share stories that were similar to yours
0: you know, that first meeting, no one's story was similar to mine. I didn't identify with any of the stories. They were, they were mainly blokes and they were crashing and bashing stories and that just was nothing like my story. And I remember the first two or three meetings, I was sort of thinking, gosh, maybe I'm not an alcoholic, you know. I don't have these, these horrible stories to share. At that first meeting, as well as the greeter, who was gorgeous, one bloke stood up and I didn't get his story at all. It was nothing like mine. But then he did talk about how he felt and there was something in him describing his feelings. So I thought, oh, yeah, oh, my goodness, that's exactly how I feel. And so that was how I got the identification from that very first meeting. And then I sort of wavered off and on, wondering if I if I was really worthy of being in in a for a few few more weeks until someone pointed out to me um tradition uh three which is about um uh you know you just need to have a desire to stop drinking to make it in AA to come through the doors of AA. um so that settled me back down again and and i've sit, since come to learn very much that i'm i'm exactly where i need to be yeah.
1: so did it help you to understand that alcoholism was a disease, that it wasn't just your lack of willpower?
0: It was really liberating. And I would come home from meetings and still, like in early recovery, your brain is fried. You're so mixed and confused. You're all of a sudden dealing with real life without the coping mechanism and the the numbing tool that you've had for decades. So nothing's making sense. Everything seems foreign. Feelings are coming up for the first time. I would come home from meetings in those early days and just download to my husband, you know. And you know, they call it a disease, an allergy. Can you believe it? You know. And I thought it just made me feel so much more like a, a worthy human. I guess like I, it wasn't me doing the wrong thing all of that time that that somewhere in amongst it all, I was no longer in control and it had nothing to do with, with how much I did or didn't want to stop drinking.
1: So what did your husband think when you started AI?
0: You know, initially I think he did, I remember us having a conversation where I said, I I, I think I'm an alcoholic and he refused. He said, no, you can't be, no. <laughs> So once I started going to AA, I think, look, he's a, he's a very patient, tolerant, beautiful man. And he saw over time, the improvement in me. And we started to talk about some of the content that I was learning about. And it was just genuinely interesting. And in that whole sort of self development journey, he was sort of, ironically doing something similar in parallel to me so we had a lot of common ground in our own sort of self-improvement self-development self-discovery stuff he finds it amazing and I guess it's a it's it's something that if you're not an alcoholic you're never really going to understand he he'll say things to me like oh it's um it's really admirable uh your commitment to the, to the program or to the meetings or to your service position or whatever, I think he will go to his grave not understanding that it's it's actually not a choice. It is if you want to take it to the life and death stuff. It's like it's what I have to do. It's not like I wake up and think, will I or won't I today? I know if I want to live well, I have to do the things that I've been taught to do.
1: Yeah. So has he thought about going to something like Alanon or...?
0: Yeah, we've talked about it. Perhaps if he were more affected by my behaviours, I think he's probably been quite protected just by his own design from a lot of it. Like I think a lot of it just went over his head, to be honest. But my daughter has. Yeah. She's um, yeah. gotten into Alateen and Alanon in the last sort of, say, 12 months. And I, I think she identifies with a lot of. A lot of the content there.
1: Yeah. So has that helped your relationship with her?
0: Oh, our relationship's definitely better. Has it helped our relationship? In some ways, I think it's made it a lot more raw and a lot more real. It, I don't think it's made the relationship any easier. I I I think we've just both gotten a lot more truthful. About who we are and the things that drive us and affect us, and how we're showing up. I'd, I'd it'd be lovely to say yes, we've got this beautiful relationship thanks to AA and Al-Anon, but it's just—I mean, people are hard, hard work, complicated. It's not a smooth sail.
1: No, it's not a smooth sail.
0: On that, I feel like I should put something positive in there, and it has. There is positivity there. She's she has found identification and and fellowship and there have been many times when she's come out of a meeting and said how much better she feels because you know she's she's been with people who she identifies with and, and yeah so that's that's a fantastic thing
1: yeah it is so how's it changed your life then
0: well I'm still here um so I guess really that's the, that's probably the biggest, I, I no longer wake up wanting to end my life and wondering which way I might do that. It's taken, gosh, it's a big question. I've only nearly four years in recovery. So to many, that's, that's still quite young and there's so much to learn, but that I think there's, a lot more peace and ease in me now and so life has changed in that i no longer feel like i have to control and orchestrate everything i have found a connection with a higher power and that whole understanding and relationship helps me move through the days really differently than i used to i used to be completely wrapped up in, in myself and completely obsessed with my next drink. And, and these days I'm, I'm genuinely interested in, in how can I help someone else because it, it, it feels good and you, you, you know you're doing, you're doing something nice for someone else. And, and I think I, I would like to hope that for the most part I model much healthier behaviour to our kids. I'm more present. It's really like the change is quite amazing and it's all quite um, internal, really.
1: Yeah. So how has it changed your work life?
0: So, again, I was someone who was in control of a lot of stuff in my old work environment and and that suited the way I I operated. These days I have actually probably a, a better a better paying job but it's way less stressful and i get to turn up and be one of many like it's it's as though i they talk about right sizing the program right sizes you i i no longer feel like i'm way better than everyone or a piece of dirt underneath your foot i no longer feel those extreme emotions about myself i'm much more comfortable and much better at traveling through that that middle part of life it's so much more comfortable
1: so what about your relationship with your husband
0: he's a good man yeah i think we um i mean we've had a lot of other stuff besides recovery go on we've lost all of our parents in the last few years and yeah, we're definitely stronger and closer than we've ever been. And, yeah, he's my best friend as well as my, you know, my life partner and the the person I uh, I most want to share something with and uh, at, on any given day and, you know, the person who aggravates me the most in life, but um, I wouldn't want to be without him. Um, and I think one of the nicest things about us is that, even though he he's not an alcoholic, um, and he, he doesn't necessarily understand it very well, he's very accepting. He can see the difference that it's made in me. And I think he's very accepting that whatever you're doing, it's working well. Let's go with that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a that's a very positive, <laughs> very <laughs> positive outcome.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: it sure is. So we've talked about your daughter what about your son what's that relationship like
0: yeah look he was the younger of the two so he possibly was aware of less potentially than my, my daughter um, although they both were quite quite shocked when we first discussed AA and I've, like, I've made amends with both of them and that that was a very kind of growing and healing process for all of us I think he's pretty cruisy. My son, he's, he has passed comment. And again, this is, you know, gee, you wouldn't, it's it's amazing that you're an alcoholic mum, like you just wouldn't pick it, would you? <laughs> and I, and I, I, in turn, have said, well, you know, there's stuff that I try and do every single day to make sure that it stays that way. It doesn't just happen and bang and and then there's no more work to do it's it's something that I work on every day yeah and and I guess they were quite both quite concerned if if it was genetic if they would be alcoholic um and I guess the jury's still out on that um yeah I can certainly see it in our in our daughter the isms
1: yeah yeah I think it's very strong the ism. it's just a matter of keeping a good open relationship with them so that, you know, they feel comfortable being able to talk to you about life issues and not isolate. It's once they isolate, I think it becomes a real problem. Yeah. yeah. So what sort of things do you do in AA now?
0: I love service. I've I've always, right from my first, I think it was my third meeting, I walked up to the secretary and said, I function really well with the job. Is there anything I can do to help? And he made something up for me just so that I had purpose for the next meeting. And that was lovely. Uh, so I, I'm a big, strong believer in giving service. It just, it helps me feel connected. Like my automatic default even now is to isolate. That's where, where my person would most rather be is isolated and, and my disease certainly doesn't help. So service is a way of getting around that character floor, if you want to call it. I have a sponsor and I have sponsored. I'm not sponsoring anyone currently. I try to, when we have face-to-face meetings, I try to be there for the, the greeting part and stay at the end of the meeting in case there are any questions or if anyone wants to uh, wants to chat. I try to get phone numbers, especially from newcomers. And when I'm running a good program, I will try and ring newcomers, you know, every couple of days. I should probably call them every day. Prayer and meditation, definitely on a daily basis and often many times through the day, especially prayer. That's become a really a really big part of my, my life and the way I show up today. It's, it's really helped me find that, that comfort and that peace and ease. Yeah and it's just very important for me to stay connected to other alcoholics and to to never forget what it was like because you know you you get better and life is good and busy and and it's easy for me to forget how bad it was so it's really important that I remind myself how bad it was it almost sounds a bit self-beating but um it's it's important
1: yeah if anybody would like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you can phone them in Australia on 1300 222 2 or you can go online at aa.org.au for more information and details about local meetings. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today, so I'd like to thank Lisa for sharing her recovery experience with us and talking about how Alcoholics Anonymous has helped her. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Bill.
1: I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about food obsessions and feature some members of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more radical radio on 3CR. And to take us out, we've got a final Just Lock song called Nothing at All.